Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. We're going to finish up the series on desperate people this morning. And the title of my message this morning is called Desperate When Drowning. Desperate When Drowning. You know, uh, I don't know if every, any of you feel like you've been drowning at some time in your life, whether it's drowning under some certain circumstances or relationships, finances, health issues. But it's no fun to feel like you're drowning. I remember a particular time when I literally felt like I was drowning. When uh, I was about 17, I was a part of our youth group, and our youth group decided to have a luau at this people's house. And the luau was going to be staged in a little island that was in the middle of this small man-made lake. And I was standing on the shore. That island didn't look that far away, but all of us had to meet out at the island for the party. And most of the people went in canoes or a kayak or some type of boat. And, and I just thought, you know what, I can swim that. And there was a couple of us guys that decided to go and swim that. But as I started to swim that, I realized it's a lot farther than I thought it was. It was at least a couple hundred yards, maybe longer. And, I, you know, I am no Michael Phelps. And so any mobster that wants to get rid of me, they don't even have to put a load of bricks or cement at my feet. Man, I go down. So if I'm not paddling, I'm, I'm underwater. Well, I got about halfway down there, and I realized, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I really started to panic. And I was throwing thrashing as hard as I could. And fortunately, I looked around, and I was so desperate. One of the guys came along in the canoe, and I didn't... I pretended that I was okay, and I grabbed the canoe, and I was so thankful that canoe came by because it gave me a little bit of, of space, and it brought me down maybe a further another 50 yards, and then I swam the rest of the way. So it was a hard feeling, and it made me really desperate. But, you know, there are also times where you're going to find that there are people around you that are drowning, and you don't want to do what these people did. You know, it's, it's uh, one of those things that uh, we often have a hard time getting involved But it leads me to the big idea today, and that is this. When we cry out to Jesus, he's not going to stand by and watch. When we cry out to Jesus, he's not going to stand by and watch. You know, I want to share with you a passage of Scripture today that's in Matthew chapter 14. It's a pretty familiar passage of Scripture to a lot of you that maybe you heard when you were in Sunday school growing up. You remember when Jesus walked on the water and Peter walked on the water for at least a short period of time. So we're going to go to that passage. But before I do, I want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, This is during Jesus' earthly ministry, and he just had come off in incredibly two difficult situations. The first one was he had just heard about John the Baptist being beheaded. He must have really... Uh, hurt Jesus to hear that, that that went on. And so he needed some time alone. If you read earlier in chapter 14, you're going to see that Jesus needed to be alone with his father because it was probably an emotionally draining kind of thing for him. And, and then he just gets done feeding 5,000 people, if you remember that story. And there were lots more than that, probably ten to 15,000 people. And he'd done ministry all day long, and it was towards evening, and he was exhausted. He was tired. And so he told the disciples, he said, why don't you get in the boat? Because they were on one side of the Lake Sea of Galilee. And he said, why don't you go to the other side and go on ahead of me, and I'll join you later. And so he goes to a mountaintop, and he prays because he's tired, he's exhausted, and he needed some space. Well, the disciples are out there, and we'll pick up the story in Matthew chapter 14. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. We think it was probably about three miles out, 
We're not really sure, but it's a fairly large lake, the Sea of Galilee. It's uh, probably anywhere from five to six miles, maybe across. Here's a great picture of the Sea of Galilee um, at its finest. It's a really calm day in the Sea of Galilee, and that's the tour boat that often takes you across the Sea of Galilee if you've ever visited Israel. And uh, I want you to be reminded that in those days, there were no Ranger bass boats that could go 60 miles an hour, okay? So what would happen sometimes on the Sea of Galilee is that a storm would come up, and it would come up very quickly. And I want you to see, this is the Sea of Galilee. It's amazing what can happen in a short period of time, and if you're out in the middle of that lake, you've got a serious problem. And that's what was going on with the disciples. They were rowing against these waves to try to get across the lake. So let's go back to the Scripture. They were buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch, and by the way, the fourth watch meant that it was probably three, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. I mean, these guys, they left probably at dusk, and they were still rowing at 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, these guys were weary. They were rowing against the wind. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. You can imagine what experience that must have been. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. They heard his voice, and that helped. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, and that word if means since it's you, if you study that. And so Peter knew and understood that that was the voice of Jesus. And so Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. That was an incredible request. So come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. True story, folks. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when, they climbed into the, when he climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Incredible story. And uh, I want to share with you some of the experiences that you can get out of this story that will help you become a more desperate person for Christ. So let's look at the ex- first experience, and that is um, that you cannot do life in your own strength. Doing life in your own strength just doesn't work. Some of you are pretty stubborn and pretty proud, and you like to have life under control, right? And maybe most of you have done things pretty well on your own. But oftentimes there comes a period where you might feel like you're in a storm or you're rowing against the waves, and you realize that, you know what? I need a higher power. I need Jesus. Just give me Jesus. I remember a friend of mine, his name was Steve. He was a commander of mine when I was with the Phoenix Police Department as a chaplain. And I remember going into his office the first day he was in the office. And I said, I want to introduce myself to you, Steve. My name's Tom, and I'm the chaplain. And he said, well, Tom, I've got to tell you something. He said, I'm really not a big fan of chaplains. Well, we're off to a good start. And then he said, you know what, and by the way, he said, I, I believe in God, but I just want you to know I don't need God. I said, oh, okay, well, that's good. I'm glad to know where you're at, Steve. So I began to pray for Steve. And then I also met his wife, who was actually working in the communications area, and I met Carol one day, and I started to talk with her and discovered that she was a, a Christian, that she knew Jesus. And I said, Carol, I said, you need to pray for Steve. I'm going to be praying for Steve because one of these days, Steve's going to walk into church. And she said, hell will freeze over. It ain't going to happen. 
But over a period of time, I began to build a relationship with Steve, and he was having a lot of issues with personnel, and there was a lot going on, and there was a lot of pushback and arguing, and it was just nasty periods of time. And over a period of time, yeah, I won his confidence, and I began to pray for him out loud in front of him in his office. And little by little, I saw him softening. And then one day, I met Carol over at the Communications Bureau. I said, Carol, how you doing? She said, I'm doing great. I said, how's Steve doing? She said, guess what? And I said, what? She said, hell froze over. <laughs> Steve tried to do life in his own strength. And maybe you're that person this morning. You're trying to do life under your own strength. And a lot of times it works out okay, and you've managed to do pretty well. But your pride's in the way. And sometimes when we realize that we can't do life in our own strength, that's when it makes us more desperate. Well, the second experience I can see here, because these guys are rolling on their own, and they just couldn't pull it off without Jesus, right? But they were also exhausted. Jesus was exhausted probably from the long day of ministry, and they were exhausted from rowing. So exhaustion is one of those ways sometimes that makes us more desperate for Jesus, doesn't it? Have you ever been fully burned out, tired, to a point where you just feel like you've had a, a hard day, a long day, a long year, and it's been a struggle, and you're just totally wiped out and totally exhausted. Well, sometimes that's a good thing, because when we're exhausted, we've got to call on somebody else to give us that strength. I'll never forget one time when I was praying in my backyard, and, and I was just really feeling tired after doing ministry for so many years, and there was a lot of stuff going on, and I was just really, really tired, and I remember asking, praying to the Lord. I said, Lord, could you just fill me up from the tip of my toes to the top of my head? And I just felt God just filling me back up because I was so tired. I became desperate because I was exhausted. These guys were exhausted from rowing. Jesus was exhausted from doing hard ministry and losing a dear friend. But the third experience I see here is there's great vulnerability, obviously, and that'll make you feel desperate, right? In verses 26 and 27, it says this, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. I mean, they felt vulnerable already in, the, in a boat in this middle of this mess in, in the lake. And it's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. They were vulnerable. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. There's nothing like vulnerability that makes us more teachable, right? When things aren't going well, when I'm feeling weak, and I feel like I can't control the situation any longer... That's when we become desperate. And I believe sometimes God allows us to get into those circumstances in our lives where it gets so stormy that we're just so vulnerable and so weak and we're so humiliated and we're so down that we have to reach out to Him. And that's a good thing. We need to become desperate sometimes when we're feeling vulnerable. But there's a fourth experience here that I see that's really important that makes us more desperate, in my opinion, and that's when we hear God's voice. You see... When we hear God, Peter, this is what was going on. When they were struggling at the very peak of their vulnerability, Jesus speaks and says, take courage, it is I, it is I. And so Peter says, Lord, if it is you, Peter, he says, tell me to come to you on the water. So Peter recognized the voice of the Lord in his life, and he stepped out in faith by getting out of the boat. Now, you say, that was probably a very impulsive decision, but the reason why he had the confidence to jump out of the boat is because he knew that Jesus had the power to make that happen. And so he gets out of the boat. Why? Because he heard God's voice. Have you ever gotten out of the boat in your life because you heard God's voice? You know, hearing God's voice 
really becomes difficult for some of us because we get way too busy, and sometimes we're so busy talking that we're not listening. You know, I brought this little radio with me because um, some of you know that I'm on chaplain now for the sheriff's department, and when I get in my vehicle and I get on the radio, I usually say, this is chaplain two, I'll be 10-8. Well, if I keep my finger on the button that says to dispatch, that I'm going to be going into service and I never let go of the button and allow dispatch to respond to me, they're going to think something's really screwed up, right? They're saying, you're not listening. And I wonder how many times we go to the Lord and we ask to hear from his voice and we don't stop to listen. We're not good listeners in our culture, are we? We don't slow down long enough to listen a lot of times. But in this particular case, Peter, because he cries out, because they cried out and Jesus said, Uh, it is I, Jesus said, well, since it's you, I can do this. I can get out of this boat and I can even walk on water. It's a pretty powerful thing. My question to you is, how well do you listen to the Lord? Have you heard his voice lately? Do you really believe that God wants to talk to you? Honestly. Or do you just like, you're just talking to to some some guy in the sky and... (laughs) You know, he's not really wanting to talk back, right? We ever get that way? Hearing God's voice is such an art. It's a wonderful thing. And if you're desperate enough, you're going to hear what God has to say. And when you hear what God has to say, you might even get out of the boat. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Here's the fifth experience that I see here. When you see Peter walking on the water, what does he do? He, all of a sudden, he's taking these steps on the water, and I'm sure that the guys, the other disciples are thinking, oh, this is amazing, this is incredible. I don't, have you ever tried to walk on water? The closest I've ever come was barefoot skiing, and it didn't work very well, okay? But here's Peter, he's taking a few steps, and all of a sudden, he turns his attention from where? From his focus on Jesus to the wind, right? He gets his eyes off of Jesus. As long as he would have kept his eyes on Jesus, I think he would have walked all the way to him and they would have embraced and it would have been a big, a big thing. But instead, what does Peter do? All of a sudden, he gets, loses his focus and goes to the circumstances rather than to Jesus and he begins to go down, right? Anybody identify with that? It's so easy to lose our focus when the winds start blowing. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Next verse. Let us then fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus is the key to staying the course and being a desperate believer. I remember in the early days when we came down to Phoenix in 1981, we were driving up from the Verde Valley and my wife was following the U-Haul truck with our diesel Volkswagen Rabbit. A lot of power there, folks. And, uh, and she had the dog and the canary in the back seat. I think I had the kids in the front seat of the U-Haul truck. And I was driving up the hill. And I was thinking, what did I get my family into? I had no idea. We didn't have a house. We didn't have a job. We didn't know what we were going to do other than God called us and made it very clear to me that I was to make my highway in the desert. 
And that calling, that voice of the Lord, helped me stay focused, even when there were days in the early days of planning that church where we wanted to quit. But because we kept our focus on Jesus and his calling in our lives, it gave us the perseverance and the character to keep moving on. It's so critical that we keep our focus even in the midst of when those storms come in our way and we're rowing against those waves. But there's a sixth experience here that I see that we can help, that will help us. Because I think desperate people cry out to the Lord. Desperate people cry out. You see, when, when Peter got to this point in his life, where he was walking on the water, but at verse 30 it says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, what? Lord, save me! Have you ever cried out to the Lord? I mean cried out to the Lord. Not in your heart, but with your voice. I know there's been times in my life where I've just said, God, I don't get it. God, I think I'm getting screwed here. God, what's up with you? God, save me, help me, fill me. Have you ever yelled to the Lord? Ever talked out loud to the Lord? I think crying out is really critical. And I I know that when we're drowning and we cry out, God's not going to stand by and watch. Especially when we cry out, Lord, save me. If you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart and life, that's what you need to cry out. Lord, save me. And you know what? God will reach down and he will grab your arm and he will pick you up because you're drowning in your own sin. There's nothing like a drowning prayer to be desperate, right? When's the last time you cried out to the Lord? Let me give you some things to think about here as we bring this message to a close and this whole sermon series to a close. One of them is this, and I want to go back to the big idea. When we cry out to the Lord, he won't stand by and watch. It says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Jesus caught him. Jesus reached out his hand. I'm convinced that when we feel at a point of vulnerability or exhaustion or whatever it may be, when we sincerely cry out to the Lord, he is not going to stand by and watch. He may not intercede absolutely immediately. He may not make things all things perfect immediately. But by golly, when you cry out to the Lord, he is going to get involved in your life. Amen? When we cry out, he's not going to stand by and watch. He's going to reach out in some way, shape, or form or give you the grace to endure through that situation. Here's the second thing. Whatever the rough waters looks like in your life, it is always going to be a test of your faith. You remember what Jesus said to to Peter? He said, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? James chapter 1, some of you know that scripture. It says, consider it all joy when you encounter trials because it's a testing of your faith, which produces perseverance, which produces proven character. So you can be sure that no matter what you're going through, what God is doing, he's allowing your faith to make a difference and grow and to persevere and to prove your character. And that's what he was doing in Peter's life and in the disciples' life. Whatever the rough waters look like in your life, it's a test of your faith. Here's a third thought. There are times when you just need to get out of the boat. You know, sometimes when you look at this story, you go back and you say, Oh, Peter, a little faith, why did you doubt? At least he got out of the boat, right? There's 11 other guys sitting in the boat watching Peter do his thing. 
And how many of you are sitting in the boat in a safer place, if you will, and God's saying, get out of the boat? Is God saying that to you this morning? You know, we had a, a, a kind of a cycle that we used in my church back in Phoenix over the years, and it was a cycle that went like this. It says, healthy things grow, growing things change, change requires risk, and risk requires faith, and faith makes you healthy, and healthy things grow, and that's a life cycle that all of us need to be in. And it's funny because all of us are somewhere in this cycle. God may be saying, you know, I want to change you, but because of that change, you're going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to get out of the boat. And when you get out of the boat, it's going to be a step of faith. And when you take that faith, you're going to grow. Do you think Peter grew from that experience? Absolutely. Every time we take a step of faith, every time we take the risk to get out of the boat, God can do some amazing things in our life. And some of you, perhaps, God, you've heard God's voice. I have a friend that I've been praying for for the last couple of weeks. He came to me a couple of weeks ago and he said, Tom, would you pray for me? I've got an enormous decision that I need to make. And they're asking me to do something that's way beyond my comfort zone. And we both talked about it for a little bit of a while, and he said to me, and I said to him, I said, he said, I need to know it's God's calling in my life. And so I said, I'm going to pray that you hear God's voice, because when you hear God's voice, and he's calling you and saying, come, you better get out of the boat. How many of you have heard God's voice, maybe perhaps that still small voice or those circumstances that God's been showing you something, or somebody's counseling you and they're saying you need to do this or do that? Are you listening and do you realize that it's the call of God perhaps or his voice saying come and you saying, ah, I don't want to take a risk. I don't want to get out of the boat. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to take that risk. And God's saying, wait a minute, you take that risk. I'm going to bless you. You're going to, you're going to have some pretty exciting things go on in your life. And when we heard God's voice to come to Phoenix 30 some odd years ago, that was a huge risk for my family. But God blessed it and anointed it. Healthy things grow and growing things change and change requires risk. What risk is God maybe asking you to take? Is it that confrontation? Is that conversation that you need to have? Is that decision you need to make? What's God saying to you this morning? He's saying, you know what? Get out of the boat. Yeah, you may take a couple steps. You're going to look at the circumstances. You're going to feel like you're drowning. and You're going to have to say, Lord, save me. That's all part of life. Here's the fourth thing. Remember to celebrate when the rough waters subside. You see, when Jesus got in the boat, what happened? It said, those who were in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the Son of God. Let's not forget who calms the sea, right? It's so fun when Jesus gets in the boat, amen? Just give me Jesus. Well, you know... Pastor Scott challenged us a few weeks ago, and it really convicted me that I don't celebrate enough when God does some extraordinary things. And sometimes we don't get to celebrate that as a church, but this morning I want you to celebrate something with me. Because there was a woman in the church, her name is Kat Wooten. Kat's husband's Rick, some of you know Rick. But Kat had a very serious illness, and about six weeks ago I was in a hospital room with her in intensive care, and she was on a ventilator. She couldn't respond at all. She was in a coma-like state, and I remember walking out of that hospital room with Rick, and Rick was in tears, and he said, you know, I'm not going to see Kat again. 
The doctors and the nurses said, you know, there's nothing more that we can do. We could probably take her to another hospital and get a tracheotomy done, and perhaps that may prolong her life, but it doesn't look very good, and so you better have the family come and blah, blah, blah. And I remember Rick saying, you know, they have to make a decision perhaps in the morning to perhaps pull the plug. They, they weren't sure. And Rick said, I'm going to go home, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray tonight, and I want you to see what happened. So here's Kat. Bottom line is I had double pneumonia, an abscess on my right lung that ruptured. And so then it was septic, so it just shot through my entire system. Sure. And I'm glad we're able to document this because I am a girl. I mean, one of the doctors came in, and he didn't ask this directly, but he said she really shouldn't be alive. So I'm, I'm in that place that I was feeling, I don't think that I can keep hanging on. And I just, while I was in this place, it was just warm and gentle and calming. And, and so the fear was gone. And I don't fear dying because I know where I'm going. I'm going to be with my Heavenly Father. But in that moment, when I felt that, that's when I knew I've got to do something than just lay here. And I just felt the Lord's presence. Let's go. It's time to wake up. And what was my real turning point is I had been on there 13 days. Yeah. And they'll only allow two weeks. The longer you're on the ventilator, the less chance that you have of coming back. So the decision was being made. They were going to care flight me to Flagstaff and do a tracheotomy. And so that was my turning point because one of the nurses went to Rick, my husband, and said, your wife's condition doesn't look good at all. You may want to get your family in here. And that's when I literally started moving around, and I'm looking at people, I'm trying to find out where I am, I'm lost, I'm confused, I'm scared, and then I saw some faces that I know. My husband, my three daughters, and you. Yes, um, you've got two kind of southern women, and I'm a steel magnolia. I won't even go into the other one. And so I have heard this expression all my life. When things get down, they look impossible. There are no answers. We rise up from the ash. And where nothing could conceivably be growing, there's a little tiny green sprout. And for me, that's when I'm coming back. What do you think, folks? Can I hear an amen? Cat rose up from the ashes. In fact, we teased her because um, she had two other rushes with death, and we said, you know, your name's Cat, so you've used up seven lives now. You only got two left. 
So we love Kat, and we just thank God for the miracle, and there is no other explanation, folks. The doctors couldn't figure it out. The nurses couldn't figure it out, but we can. Because some days, sometimes when you cry out to the Lord, he reaches out, and he reached out to Kat, and we say amen. That doesn't mean he's going to do a miracle in everybody's life, but it does mean that Jesus loves us enough that when we cry out, he's going to be there for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it's been a great morning. Thank you for Clovis and reminding us again how we just need Jesus. And I'm convinced, Lord, that there are somebody, some folks sitting here this morning that are still trying to do life in their own strength, and they're rowing pretty hard, and it isn't working. And they need to cry out to you and say, Lord, save me this morning. I want to do it your way. I need you, Lord. I can't do this on my own. If that's you this morning, you just need to cry out and say, Lord, save me. I just need you, Lord. I believe that you died for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I want you to be running my life from now on because I can't do it on my own. There may be somebody here, Lord, that you've been speaking to through these words this morning, and you're, they're saying, come. You're saying, come, get, get out of the boat. If that's you this morning, I trust that you would really listen to that as we pray. And that, if you're that person this morning, Father, I pray that they would take the steps that they need to to get out of the boat. Lord, thank you for this illustration. Thank you for this series, Desperate People. God, we want to be desperate people at Cornerstone. And whatever it takes, Lord, I pray that in the days that are ahead, that we would live out desperate lives, walking by faith, taking risks, and growing substantially because you say, come. So help us to be good listeners in the days that are ahead, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.